The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 21st chapter. Then Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who were selling and buying in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he cured them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the amazing things that he did and heard children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they became angry and said to him, Do you hear what they are saying? Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies? You have prepared praise for yourself? He left them, went out of the city to Bethany, and spent the night there. The Gospel of the Lord. People often ask me, do you ever reuse a sermon? And I can honestly say that with one exception, no, I I don't. Now, I might use a story or something from another one, but ask word for word, no, because there's two fears that I have. Number one is that people will remember the sermon that I've already preached. And number two is that they won't remember that I've already preached that sermon. But I say this as a disclaimer because some of the things that you're going to hear today are familiar, Um, beginning with uh, the the story that starts off. And so so you're not sitting there for the next five minutes trying to figure out if I've told you this before. The answer is, if you watched Word for Wednesday last year, yes, you have heard me say this before. So, here goes. If you are a high school student... You may want to go ahead and get on a waiting list for child care for your babies that you're going to have 10 years from now. Because the truth is, if you don't, you're not going to be able to get into a daycare. I know this firsthand. Yes, I tend to procrastinate things, but I had no idea that we needed to be on a waiting list for years and years before our first child was born. And because we did not have a place for her to go, she came to work with me. I was a stay-at-work dad. Now, there's a thing about being a new parent that any new parent can tell you. Among parent world, there are these professional parents. Professional parents are grandparents, parents, great-grandparents, or people that have ever thought about having children that somehow know how to raise children better than anyone else, especially you. And these professional parents have no qualms about telling you what you need to do with your child. Especially if you're a guy. Especially if you're a young guy. And back then, when our first daughter was born, I was about 26, 27 years old, but I looked like I was 18. And so, anytime that Rachel and I were out and about without my wife, people women would come up to me and tell me what I was doing wrong. Because, you see, Rachel did not like to be held like most babies. Most babies love it when you cuddle them next to your chest. No, Rachel wanted to be turned outward with her feet hanging so she could see the world around her. Still like that. Although I typically don't pick her up and hold her anymore. But, especially since she's 19 years old. But still, um... So I would be walking around holding my child, and she would be just fine. And inevitably, someone would come up to me and say, 
um, you know, she'll like it a lot better if you turn her around the other way. Okay. So I would turn her around the other way, let them hear her scream, and then turn her back. Thank you for your help, ma'am. I really appreciate that. When did people become experts on everything? I mean, is it because the internet, you know, because now we can just look whatever it is up? Or is it it because uh, we gave trophies to everybody and so they think that they're professionals at everything? Um, it kind of re- reminds me of the old commercial. Maybe you remember it. You know, there's, there's people gathered around and this guy's doing surgery and he says, you know, it, it's time to close. And, and one of the nurses says, very good, Dr. Stewart. And then he takes down his mask and said, well, you're not Dr. Stewart. No, but I stayed at a Holiday Inn Express last night. Apparently, everybody in the world now stays at the Holiday Inn Express because they know everything about everything. They know what's best for you, what's best for the country, what's best for everybody. And if you don't believe me, just ask them. But even if you don't ask them, they're probably going to tell you anyway. I mean, look, case in point, I guarantee you that if I went on Facebook today and said, I have tendonitis in my elbow, what do I need to do? Now, I've got tons of friends who are doctors and nurses and physical therapists and trainers And I would hope that they would respond. But you know what? They probably won't. You know who will respond? Everybody else who has ever heard of tennis elbow. Uh, And they'll tell me what I need to do. Ice it. Put heat on it. Um, Take Advil. Take a leave. I'll get 10,000 different opinions and none of them will be professional. And you know what? A lot of times that's okay. I do it too. I was at a restaurant a couple nights ago. And I overheard the table next to me. They were debating on which meal to get so I just piped in the middle of their conversation said you know what this is great right here I don't know if they appreciate it or not they did order what I suggested but that's fine and we're mostly okay with that unless we disagree with what we're being told don't we because we live in a very opinionated time and since everybody's got an opinion that they feel necessary to share they love to get into your business don't they They love to tell you how you should live your life. They love to correct you when they believe that you're wrong. And don't we just love that? No. In fact, it infuriates us when someone tells us that we're wrong, that we're doing it wrong, that we're thinking it wrong, that we believe something incorrectly. And yet folks are all too willing to let us know this. And we're all too willing to let them know it too. But at the end of the day, don't tell me I'm wrong. Which is what's going on in today's gospel readings. Notice I said readings because there were two. There was the beautiful one that started at the back of the church, right? The triumphal entry into Jerusalem, the palm parade, Hosanna, Hosanna, save now. People were so excited, just like I was telling the kids, they were so excited that Jesus, they referred to him as the prophet Jesus of Nazareth. They had come to town and they had heard that he could do some amazing things. He was a preacher, a teacher, a healer, a miracle worker. They were so excited that maybe, just maybe, this might be the Messiah. Save us, Jesus. And then Jesus goes straight to the temple, which you would expect from the Son of God, right? I mean, if you're coming to town, you would want 
I mean, son of God would go to the temple. But what does he do? Oh, and by the way, remember when I mentioned that you may have heard some of this before? Two weeks ago, the gospel lesson was John's version of Jesus cleansing the temple. And that's at the beginning of John's gospel. Today, we get Matthew's version of the same thing. But in Matthew's version, it's at the end of the gospel. It's at the end of Jesus' ministry. And so the placement of those, while we're not talking about two separate events, but the message that's being given is very important. John was saying there's a new sheriff in town. Things are about to change. Matthew and Mark and Luke, for that matter, were saying something different. They were saying that Jesus is about to tell some people that they're doing it wrong. Jesus comes in and he, he, he runs out those that are selling the doves and, and turns over the tables of the money changers. But not just the ones selling, also the ones buying. So basically, Jesus is running everybody out of the temple. The people that were trying to, that had come to worship properly to, to give their sacrifices. And the people that, you know, you would think that, well, maybe they're fleecing other people. But no, the reality is Jesus is saying, you're doing this and you're doing it wrong. So maybe, just maybe, that's why the crowds who were yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Four days later, we're shouting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. They were all happy for the Savior. but Not so much for the one that was telling them they were wrong. And how different are we? I mean, we love Palm Sunday, right? I mean, we get excited about waving the palms and things like that. And then next Sunday... I'm sure some people even at home last year, except, I mean, if you bought your Easter clothes before the shutdown, you were wearing your new clothes even though you were in the house by yourself. Because we're going to celebrate Easter, because that's a big party. That's the big celebration. But when it comes to Monday, Thursday, where we see Jesus arrested, and when we hear about Jesus being mocked, beaten, and killed on Good Friday, well, let's just pass that by. Because you see, on those days, we're forced to take a hard look. In the course of this week, we, we, have, we see that we ourselves are the very ones who were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. And we're also the ones yelling, crucify, crucify him. Because we have a mirror held up to our faces. And we're being told that we're wrong. You see, we're okay with being told that we're sinners. Right? I'm a sinner, you're a sinner. We always say it. Nobody's going to disagree with me. If I say, hey, you're a sinner, I know it. But don't you dare tell me what sins I'm committing. Because then, in church language, you've gone from preaching to meddling. And that's what Jesus has done. He went from preaching and teaching and healing to meddling. And the problem is that we face in Holy Week is our Lord goes from preaching to meddling. Because we have to take a hard look at our lives and realize what it is that put Jesus on that cross. What it is that we've done that put Jesus on that cross. What it is that we believe that put Jesus on that cross. Because see, it makes us look 
at our basic understanding of the world and other people. What we believe politically and socially. What we believe about the way family should happen and we believe about what our priorities should be. But then in the light of Christ, in the light of Scripture, in the light of what God teaches, sometimes we got to see that, you know what, we ain't right. We've got this all wrong. And we don't like it. We don't like it when Jesus goes from preaching to meddling. We want that Easter Jesus, not the one on Good Friday. But this week, my friends, I invite you. I invite you to take that hard look into the mirror. I invite you to search yourselves and what it is that you believe about this world, about this country, about your life. And compare that to the Word of God. Compare that to the light of Christ. And then see Christ on that cross. Take that journey with Him. I promise you, It'll be much harder. But then come next Sunday, when you realize that what's been defeated and you realize why Jesus died and why he rose again, that's when the real celebration begins. What if we took that journey? What if we looked into that mirror? What if? What if?